Welcome to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, where tour players, legends, and the top instructors in the game share their stories, insights, and playing lessons. Join Chris every Tuesday night as he talks with the greats of the game. Tonight's show is sponsored by TaylorMade Golf, the PGA Tour Superstore, Two Under, Golf Pride, Strixon Cleveland Golf, your best performance Starts with the right golf ball, Sun Mountain Golf Bags, Finn Scooters, making the game more fun, Idel Golf, Hit It, Flip It, Dial It In, and the Mecklemore Club Experience, Live Above the Clouds. Now, here's your host, Chris Mascaro. Good evening, folks, and thank you for coming back and joining me on Next on the T. I'm your host, Chris Mascaro. Excited to be back with you after a week off to celebrate my birthday. Had a great time with family. Went to see Journey in Toto last night here in Atlanta. If they're coming to a city near you, I highly recommend going to the show. They really rocked the place. Had a fantastic time. Played all the hits. Couldn't have had more fun. So kudos to both of those bands. Let me start out by thanking you all again. For your support of the show. Your votes have pushed the show into the top five of the Podcast Magazine Hot 50 list for the month of April. I really appreciate your support so very much. Please continue to vote by going online to podcastmagazine.com forward slash hot 50. You can vote for three shows, and I have a few friends out there that are also doing great podcasts that are worthy of your ears and your votes as well. Starting with Hal Sutton and his great show, Be the Right Club, today. His co-host is Chase Cooper. They do a great job. Grilling at the Green with Jeff Tracy, who will be joining me next month, as will Tucker Booth, and Tucker's show is called Rappers Don't Golf. Keith Stewart, who was with me a few weeks ago, he hosts The Pro Show, and then we'll round it out with The Approach Shot by Mike Krasny. So all of those guys are doing a really great job talking about golf as well, so please check out their shows. And thank you for giving Next on the Tee one of your votes. Okay, on to tonight's show. My first guest is going to be 2019 Champions Tour Player of the Year, Scott McCarron. I'll talk to Scott about driver distance. What is he seeing now versus when he came out on tour back in 1992? Scott is currently 8th in driving distance on the Champions Tour and 38th in driving accuracy. So he's hitting it long and straight. So we'll talk about whether it's different now versus when he came out on tour. We'll also talk about his win at the 2018 Shaw Classic, which featured a hole-in-one during his final round. And we'll also talk about the mental side of the game, playing to win versus playing not to lose. So looking forward to having Scott back on the show. He'll join me here in just a few minutes. Following him, I'll get a return visit from one of the all-time great PGA professionals, Bob Ford. Bob had a dream job, if you look at it, being the head professional at Oakmont during the summer and then Seminole Golf Club down in Florida in the fall and the winter. We'll hear about what it was like to hold both of those jobs at the same time and if he had any time to himself with the demands, I'm sure, of those memberships. We'll also look back at the 1994 U.S. Open played there at Oakmont. It was Arnold Palmer's final U.S. Open appearance. Mr. Palmer didn't make the cut, so his final round was on Friday, June 17th which also happened to be the day the whole world was caught up in a police car chase going on on the freeway in L.A. as the police followed the infamous white Bronco with O.J. Simpson in the back seat. We'll hear about what it was like 
for the Oakmont staff trying to stay focused on Mr. Palmer while the whole world was caught up in what was going on with OJ. Bob will join me here in about 20 minutes. Following him, I'll get a return visit from a great friend, Matthew Lawrence. You guys hear me talk about Matthew and his show Backspin Golf all the time. You may also remember Matthew as an actor who was in the movie Eddie and the Cruisers, one of my all-time favorites. Matthew was also on Saturday Night Live. He also did TV shows like One Tree Hill and Duet, plus a whole slew of others. So we'll talk about his days as an actor. We'll talk about his thoughts on the Masters, plus the new 30 for 30 featuring Greg Norman, the shark. It's a very interesting show in the series. I felt myself really kind of cringing watching them make Greg relive the 1996 Masters. I felt sorry for him. But I'm looking forward to getting Matthew's thoughts on that and a whole lot more when he joins me here about 45 minutes from now. Then we'll round out tonight's show with a visit from Adele Golf's Chief Marketing Officer, Chris Kosky. I'm going to talk to Chris about their tremendous line of wedges and putters. Many of them won gold on Golf Digest Hot List this year. I got a set of their new wedges in my bag that I'm very excited about. So we'll hear from Chris what got them on that hot list and what makes those wedges and those putters so special. So looking forward to having him as part of the show. He'll join me a little over an hour from now. So there you have it, folks. More great stories, tips, and information are coming your way tonight on this edition of Next on the Tee. And as always, thank you so much for tuning in and taking the journey with me tonight. Before we get started, I want to remind you about our friends over at the McLemore. My buddies and I were there last year for our annual golf trip, and it was so amazing. We're going back again this year. Everything about the place is first class. We had great accommodations. The practice facility is wonderful. The on-premise restaurant called The Craig has outstanding food and service. And the course lived up to every great expectation that we had for it going in. I can't say enough great things about the place, folks. you got to go online and see for yourself. TheMacLemore.com. The course is co-designed by our good friends Bill Bergen and Reese Jones. Our friend and PGA Tour caddy Kip Henley said, Outside of Pebble Beach, it's the most beautiful 18th hole he's ever seen. Golf Digest agreed, naming it the best finishing hole in America since 2000. And Lynx Magazine doubled down on that, naming it one of the top 10 finishing holes in all of golf. See why we're all praising the place so much by going online to themaclemore.com. And folks, this segment of the show is brought to you by TaylorMade. Golf's an interesting game because the better you hit the ball, the fewer shots you have to hit. That means the better you hit the ball, the less golf you actually have to play. That's why TaylorMade made the all-new Stealth Irons. TaylorMade Stealth Irons feature a cap-back design with a 3D toe wrap designed to help deliver increased distance throughout the bag and more forgiveness on those occasional, or maybe not so occasional, less than perfect shots. The result? Better shots more often, so you get to have more fun more often. So if you're the kind of golfer who wants to play less golf more often, try the all-new Stealth Irons from TaylorMade, Beyond Driven. Okay, now back in next on the tee with me is 2019 Champions Tour Player of the Year, Scott McCarran. Let me remind you about Scott's background. He's from Sacramento, California, played his college golf at UCLA, where he graduated with his degree in history. Following graduation, he stepped away from the game for four years to help his father and their family golf apparel business, came back and turned pro in 1992, and earned his way on the PGA Tour in 1994. He won three times out on the regular tour at the 1996 Freeport-McDermott Classic by five strokes over Tom Watson. At the 1997 Bell South Classic here in Atlanta by three strokes over David Duvall, Lee Jansen, and Brian Henninger. 
and he repeated at the Bell South Classic in 2001, this time winning by a stroke over Mike Weir. He partnered with Bruce Litsky and later Brad Faxon to win the Templeton Shark Shootout three times, and he and Brad Henninger paired up again to win the Fred Myers Challenge in 2002. Since joining the Champion Tour, he's won 11 times, and one of those was right back here again in Atlanta at the Mitsubishi Electric Classic. In 2019, Scott won the Charles Schwab Cup on the Champions Tour, plus the Jack Nicholas Trophy for their Player of the Year honors. He added the Arnold Palmer Award for being the moneyless winner as well. Fought his way back from foot and ankle injuries last season, though from some of the videos I saw, he could have given the guys a run for their money on one leg. And I'm honored to have him back with me here again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Scott, thanks for coming back on the show. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me tonight. Scott, I know you're back out there competing on the Champions Tour, which tells me the the foot and ankle must be nicely healed. How you feeling? Yeah, it's feeling pretty good, Chris. It's been uh, a little over seven months uh, post-surgery, so I'm feeling pretty good. I've been walking uh, over the last week's tournaments, able to walk all 18 holes, and every week it seems to get a little bit better. Um, I'm able to go ahead and swing just about as hard as I want to now and not worry about hurting the ankle or rolling over on the ankle. Um, not too much pain as far as the ankle is concerned when swinging. Just gets a little sore and stiff and hurts a little bit walking towards the end of the day. But every day I, I walk and finish around, it just seems to get a little bit stronger. So um, I'm still in recovery. You know, anytime you have surgery, it, Chris, as you know, it takes about a year. So I'm getting pretty close uh, to that year. But I still got some time. And uh, But I'm playing some good golf finally. And I'm not thinking about hurting the ankle. So um, I'm looking forward to this stretch of we got four tournaments in a row. We just played last week in Dallas. And this week we're in Houston, which is a, a great tournament here at the Insperity. And I'm really looking forward to uh, this stretch of tournaments. Scott, talk about swinging hard. You're eighth on tour and driving distance at a shade over 291 yards. How does that compare to how far you used to hit the ball when you first came out on the PGA Tour back in the early 90s? Well, you know, it's interesting. I, you know, I've, I've always been a fairly long driver of the golf ball. Even when I first came out on the PGA Tour, my first seven years, I was inside the top 10 in driving distance every year. Um, and then as I get older and the guys get younger and, and, and hit it a lot farther than, than I've fallen back, you know, when I was still on the PGA Tour and more in the like 30th or 40th. But, uh, now that I'm on the Champions Tour, you know, I'm certainly somewhere inside the top 10. Uh, normally I kind of, reside around five or six. I mean, there's some guys out here that still absolutely bomb it. But, uh, you know, even on my on my one leg, I'm still able to get out there pretty good. And uh, so I'm happy that uh, my driving distance is still up at 291. That's good. It's probably down about four or five yards than it normally is. But uh, we've had some wet, windy conditions uh, so far this year. And I feel like I'm driving the ball as good as ever. I've got the new Tour Edge Exotics, the new 722, and I'm just loving that driver. So uh, it's been a great addition to the bag. And uh, so I'm, I think I'm just going to get stronger and stronger as the year goes on. And speaking of that, because you're also in the top 40 in driving accuracy, so you're hitting it long and straight. Are you feeling good about your opportunity here pretty soon? You talk about healing up and you need a couple of more months probably before you reach the year. But you got to be on the verge of getting back to the top of leaderboard. Well, I, I, I feel like I am. Uh, you know, last week I felt pretty good. I got back to my old golf coach EA Tischler about two weeks ago and I felt pretty good going into Dallas. Uh, you know, we had 20 to 30 mile an hour wins every day. Um, and so I just was getting blown over a little bit. Um, you know, with the driver and with the long putter, it is a little bit tougher sometimes putting in those high gusty winds. 
And so I didn't quite play as well as I would like to, but I was really close. Um, and I, I liked what the things that I was doing. Um, I was able to control a lot of shots a lot better than I had been over the last couple months. And, you know, again, it's just a matter of getting my feet wet and getting back into the competing, you know, seeing some good shots, seeing some good things happen. Um, the confidence is, is there. And so, you know, I, I actually felt pretty good, even though I finished um, 47th, <laughs> tied for 47th. But I felt like I, I was actually hitting the ball pretty good. So, uh, again, you know, you, you go from one week, you try to learn what you can from that week and apply it to the following week. So here I am at a golf course at uh, Woodlands that uh, I won at a couple of years ago in 2019. Golf course I like, fun, tricky golf course, and uh, ready to go for this week. And Scott, talking about courses that you've won at before, you guys are going to be back here in Atlanta for the Mitsubishi Electric Classic at TPC Sugarloaf here next week, May 6th through the 8th. You've had a fair amount of success playing here in Atlanta, especially on that golf course. Is that a course that just happens to suit your eye, or do you have more confidence when you're stepping up to the tees here? What what makes it a place that you've been so successful at? Well, I certainly had some, you know, a good tournament there. I've won three times. Um, you know, I was I was fortunate to play a practice round with Greg Norman, who was the golf course designer um, in 1997 um, for my first practice round, the first time we'd gone there. And he kind of taught me a little bit about that golf course, what he was trying to do, some of the lines that you can take to, you know, cut off some yardage or get some extra roll. And so he certainly taught me a lot in that first practice round that I was able to carry out in 1997 and, and win that event. So, um, you know, I got to credit Greg for kind of teaching me how to play that golf course a little bit. And it's carried over. I mean, it's just a golf course I like. It's fun, great shot value. I mean, uh, you can get up and bomb some of the drives and then you got some very narrow tee shots as well. And you've got some great green complexes and some holes that I like that Greg does every once in a while where he builds a golf hole with, uh, you know, no bunker around the green, just like sloping off, um, kind of an infinity type green look. And, uh, I think he did a great job at that golf course and it, it's one I look forward to playing every year. And speaking of Greg Norman and you played alongside Greg competed against him for. A lot of the time when in the 90s when he was on his streak of 331 consecutive weeks as the number one player in the world. Talk about what it was like competing against him then and competing against him now. You know, competing against Greg was, you know, was fun. I mean, Greg, you know, had this aura about him. Anytime you're around Greg, I mean, as soon as he, you know, was on the scene, he looked like he was seven feet tall. He just had this aura around him. Um you know, he, he swashbuckling, comes in on the jet, then the helicopter. And he's got all this stuff going on and he swings at it hard. And hit, he hit the driver um, better, I think, than anybody I'd ever seen. He was one of the best drivers of the golf ball um, I had ever seen. And uh, it was fun competing against him um, and playing and watching him do what he, he did. I mean, he was always up there. I mean, every tournament uh, that I played in, it seemed like my first couple of years, you know, Greg Norman was right there on the leaderboard. So he was a, a fun guy. And I wish now, wish, I wish he would come out and compete with us every once in a while on the Champions Tour because uh, he brings, uh, brings a lot of fans, a lot of eyeballs to a tournament. Um, and he's been a good friend of mine for a long time. He was very, I was very fortunate to get an invite to the Shark Shootout back in 1997. And he called me and, and paired me with Bruce Litsky and we ended up winning that year. And Greg and I became very good friends after that. And, Used to a lot of vacations together, and I used to go on a big boat and 
go elk hunting, bow hunting uh, on his ranch. So I, I've had a lot of fun with Greg over the years, and he, he's been uh, because of him. I've had some just tremendous trips that uh, are unforgettable. So Greg's a good buddy. We still talk every now and then, um, and uh, I wish him nothing but success. But I wish he would come out and play with every once in a while. Is Greg being unfairly painted into a corner, painted as the villain now with this whole Saudi league and what's going on between that league and the guys on the PGA Tour? Well, I think, you know, Greg's trying to help golf and he's trying to help worldwide golf. He's always been that guy that, you know, was a global player and he wants to see, you know, golf on that global stage. So, you know, he's trying to do what he can to to help that. And, um, you know, I think a lot of people are painting that him into that corner just because, uh, you know, they think they're infringing on the PGA Tour. But he's also trying to help players. And he's uh, he's helped the PGA Tour players a lot already in that they've increased purses. They had that PIP program that they started last year to try to keep guys from going over to any of these other tours. They put more money into that program this year. They're putting up money in retirement. So, you know, the trickle-down effect of what Greg has been doing is actually enriching a lot of the PGA Tours already players um and i think that you're going to see some guys are going to go over there and, and play some of these tournaments i mean I, why wouldn't you for 20 million dollars uh for an individual person 5 million for a team purse um play a couple of those events um the pga tour has always given releases to guys to go play other tours um they've given releases for guys to go play over in saudi uh the women had a golf tournament in saudi here just a couple months ago so um if i was a young guy i you might go play a couple of those events. Why not? Scott, getting back to the Champions Tour and the schedule this year, you guys go back-to-back with majors here in a couple of weeks with the tradition over at Greystone Golf and Country Club in Birmingham and then up for the Senior PGA Championship in Benton Harbor, Michigan. When I think of major championship golf, I think of not only a physical grind but a mental grind, and here you guys are playing back-to-back major championship. Do you like the idea of going back to back or would you rather see a little more time in between if for nothing else to relax your mind a little bit from uh, what it's like having to compete in a major? Well, Chris, the, the majors out here are just a little bit different than the majors on the PGA Tour. Um, the PGA Tour is a little bit more of a grind with the majors uh, just because the golf courses a lot of times are extremely difficult. Uh, you've got tremendous amount of fans that come out um, for our majors, they're just really good tournaments, um, but they're not quite that major feel, you might say, on the PGA Tour. Um, it's a little more understated. The Regions uh, Tournament is a great tournament at Greystone. They do a tremendous job, and we get a, we get a nice fan base out there. It's, it's a good tournament. Um, again, f- you know, for us, a major is four rounds, so, you know, you throw one more round on there. Um, we do have a week off in between those two majors, so we don't have to play, you know, go from one right to the other. And then we go up to Benton Harbor um, for the PGA Championship. A fun golf course to play. I think Tita Green could be one of my favorite golf courses we play on our tour. Um, and it's got some beautiful views uh, out there on the lake. And the, the fans really come out in droves for that one, too. But it's just not quite the, as big a feel as, as a PGA Championship on the big tour. But still, having said that, it is a big deal for us. We want to win majors, um, even though we're uh, on the Champions Tour now. So, you know, having back-to-back, you know, as long as you have a week off, it's not that big a deal to us. Uh, but to have those great tournaments, uh, we love it. Um, we've, we've had um, chances sometimes when there's been three majors in five weeks. 
Um, I kind of like it because you, you really get up for those tournaments. Scott, a little bit later on this summer in August is going to be the Shaw Classic, an event you won back in 2018, thanks to a final round 63 that included a hole-in-one that you jarred on 14. And then right after that, Bernard Longer almost aced it right on top of you. Take us back to that hole-in-one, the wild back nine battle you had with Joe Durant, with you guys going back and forth, and what you remember from winning that golf tournament. Yeah, that was a, a golf tournament and a golf course that I really enjoyed playing at. Uh, it's been a lot of fun uh, over the years. I've, I've got two wins there and and a second place that still, you know, bothers me today when West Short hit it in the middle of the lake and hit a rock and bounced on the green. I'm 18 to beat me by a shot, but, you know, I don't want to think about that too much longer. But <laughs> having said that, uh, so that win in 18 was great. Um, I remember stepping up the tee, just kind of having a battle with uh, Langer and Grant. Uh, we were playing also with Esteban Toledo and having a really nice, uh, nice round. I was playing pretty solid. Um, got on that, uh, hole there on the par three on the backside and, and made a, made a hole in one with a nine iron and Langer hit a, hit one in there pretty close. So that was fun. I'm, I think I'm, I'm at a bogey the next hole, uh, but came back with a strong birdie on the, on the, the next par three. And then I hit it really close. I remember I hit it really close on 17 and missed one from about three feet. Um, which is a little disappointing in birdie 18. So it was a, a good finish. I know Joe Duran had missed a short one, um, on 17. And, uh, you know, that happens every once in a while. I, I just missed a short one for myself there for birdie, but, uh, it was a great battle and it, it's a really good golf course. Um, and, and, and a great sponsor. And I'm really hoping to be able to go up there and play again this year. And Scott, as you mentioned, Joe Duran missing a, a short tap in there on 17 during the final round. We just saw Jordan Spieth miss a tap in during the third round at Harbor Town. Are those moments that you mean you just go brain dead? You get nonchalant. I mean, look, all, all of us amateurs, all of us weekend warriors, that's happened to all of us. But I think we become more shocked when it happens to one of you guys. What leads to that? And has that ever happened to you? Yeah, it, it has. Um, it has happened. You know, the, the, Anytime you miss a short putt where you're not giving it your full attention, um, that's the thing that'll bother players more than anything. Um, it's not about the miss. It's about that you didn't be, you know, take it like a normal shot. You didn't put all your effort into it. Um, if I put all my effort into a one and a half, two foot putt and miss it, so be it. You know, whether I hit a bad putt or whether I misread it or whatever. I'm not going to be that mad, but if I get up there and just nonchalant try to backhand one in or just swipe at one and, and miss it, that's where I'm going to be more mad at myself. Um, and I like Jordan Spieth just kind of stepping over somebody's line and kind of giving it a quick hit and missing it. I think, you know, I know his wife gave him a little talking to that night. Hey, you know, take a little more time on those putts. You know, you know, almost cost him the tournament. So, uh, you've got to take, you know, your time. You got to go through your routine, even on those short ones and, so as long as you do that, and if you miss it, so be it. But uh, just don't rush it. And, and you know, it's kind of like we go brain dead a little bit. Scott, the Twitter background image you have is the seventh green at Pebble Beach, which is one of the most iconic holes in all of golf. Is that your favorite golf course to play? And based on the wind, what are the range of clubs that you've had to take? Because since it's only 106 yards, I've heard guys talk about hitting anywhere from sand wedge to five iron. Yeah, you know, Cub Beach has always been one of my favorite golf courses uh, I've ever played. Um, I played there as a junior growing up in a lot of junior tournaments. 
got to play, you know, amateur tournaments, got to play California State amateur there, and then got on the PGA Tour, you know, got to play in all those AT&Ts all those years. So it was a, a tournament that I always enjoyed playing. So I always had a lot of friends and family there because I was from Northern California. So, uh, yeah, that's part of my background on, on that Twitter. And, and also my wife and I uh, met at Pebble Beach. So that's also a, a big part of it, too. Um, both of one of our favorite places it just happens to be the same place at Pebble Beach. Um, but that golf hole, I think I have a love-hate relationship with that golf hole. Uh, you know, it feels like you stay on that tee sometimes. You can throw the ball, golf ball on the green. Uh, you know, but you get a little gust of wind. Also, you come up buried in the bunker. Um, I've had to hit four iron in there a couple times, uh, during tournaments where it's just an absolute nightmare just trying to chip it down there. Uh, but it's a, you know, one of the most iconic holes all in golf. Scott, I want to get a playing lesson from you, really more around the mental approach. Talk about playing to win and not playing not to lose. For those of us that might be going out to play in a, a local tournament or a member member or a member guest or a club championship. We can get, if we get a lead, we can get a little nervous and then start to play really conservatively. Talk about playing to win and not giving a tournament away playing not to lose. Well, I think one of the best things to do is, is really break it down to going through your process, whatever that may be, whatever your process is. Um, Playing to win just means going through your process, staying in the moment. Um, if you put too much onus on winning, then that might affect your process, and that might affect the way you're thinking. That might affect your physiology. You might start getting tense because you're trying to win something. But the biggest thing is to recognize that, getting back to going through your routine, going through your process, um, and letting it happen. A lot of people say, well, we don't want to play to lose either. That's true. We don't, we don't want to play too conservative. And I've always said, if you're going to play conservative, pick a conservative line that you can be aggressive in. Meaning, if you're going to lay up, make sure you're laying up aggressively. Don't just nonchalantly get up there and just go, well, I'm just going to lay up with a 7-iron. No, I'm going to hit the 7-iron to the specific spot, and here's how I'm going to do it. You know, again, going through your process. And if you do that enough and, and take care of what, what you can take care of, uh, more often than not, you know, good things are going to happen. Got one more before I let you go. And I was surprised when you won the player of the year on the champions tour and that didn't get you into the master's field. Do you think it's one of those things that should guarantee you a spot on that tournament? Oh, Chris, absolutely. That should have, no, I don't think I wish it would, but, uh, you know, there's so many, uh, champions tour players that, uh, get to play in the masters because they're former, uh, champions of the masters. So I think they've got enough champions tour guys that are playing uh, at the Masters every year. And that is would be, you know, an incredible thing to be able to go back and play Augusta because I always felt that was a tournament that uh, I had a chance to win at. I loved playing there. I had some close calls. I got to play six Masters and it was just a lot of fun, one of my favorite tournaments at all. But, no, I don't think player of the year uh, should get in the Masters. I, but it is kind of nice that the uh, Schwab Cup winner does get to play Colonial. Um, the Charles Schwab Championship there. And I think that's a nice, nice little thing to do. And, and when there's a, a Sh Charles Schwab Cup Championship at Colonial, uh, not opposite a championship event, it's kind of nice to be able to go play that. Scott, before I let you go, remind our listeners how we can stay up to date with all the great things you're doing, whether it's following you online or it's on social media. Yeah, follow online on uh, pgtour.com. You can also go to my Twitter account, scottmccarran.com. Um, and you, 
you know, I've got some great sponsors, Mobix Labs, Faster 5G, Hotline Construction, Titleist, Paul Shuglub, Tour Edge Exotics, the new 722 line of hybrid human drivers are great. Greg Norman Apparel, Hamarki CBD, and Trump Charlotte and Trump Golf. Uh, thank them all for staying by my side. Guy, you're fantastic, my friend. I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule to come back and be a part of the show. I always enjoy getting to spend some time with you. Thanks, Chris. Uh, happy belated birthday, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. I appreciate you. Take care, Scott. All the best to you and your family. That's a great Scott McCarran, folks. Like he says, a, a couple of more months of healing up. I expect to see Scott right back at the top of leaderboards out there on the Champions Tour, and I'm looking forward to when he comes here uh, to TPC Sugarloaf, see him competing strong into the final round on Sunday. But really enjoy, Scott. Look forward to catching up with him again soon. Before I get to my next guest, Bob Ford, I want to give a shout-out to our friends over at Strixon Cleveland Golf. Your best performance starts with the right golf ball at Strixon. A global leader in golf ball technology and innovation, Strixon offers a wide variety of award-winning golf balls for golfers of every skill level. Whether you're searching for a tour performance golf ball or a distance golf ball with incredible feel, Strixon provides the best golf balls at incredible prices. Strixon offers a wide variety of personalized options while also developing a highly visible colored golf ball as well. Select the right golf ball for your game today and trust it with Strixon. Check them out online at Strixon.com. S-R-I-X-O-N.com. Find the right golf ball for your game today. I also want to remind you about our friends over at Sun Mountain. There's a company nestled in the valley of Missoula, Montana, that embodies the essence of quality, function, and innovation, and that's Sun Mountain, which started building golf bags back in 1981. They are an industry leader in golf bags, travel covers, outerwear, and push carts. With flagship products that you've come to know, like the C-130 cart bag, the 2.5 ultralight stand bag, the club glider travel cover, the speed cart, and Rainflex rain gear. Sun Mountain continues its quest to provide the very best in golf products to every range of golfer. Visit them online at sunmountaingolf.com to look at their amazing products. Okay, now back in next on the tee with me is one of the top instructors and PGA professionals of all time, and that's Bob Ford. Bob has been a great player and instructor for over five decades, grew up in Valley Forge, Pennsylvania, played his college golf at the University of Tampa from 1971 to 75. He was inducted into their Sports Hall of Fame in 2006. He was also inducted into the allegheny Kiski Valley Sports Hall of Fame in 1996. Our good friend Gus Farad is also a member of that Hall of Fame. Bob was inducted into the Western Pennsylvania Sports Hall of Fame in 1998 and the PGA Professional Hall of Fame in 2005. He was the head professional at both Oakmont Country Club and Seminole Golf Club, two of the top courses anywhere in the world. As a player, Bob won the Pennsylvania Open three times. He played in the U.S. Open three times and 10 PGA Championships as well. He was the 2017 Bob Jones Award recipient, which is presented annually to the individual who demonstrates the spirit, personal character, and respect for the game exhibited by Bobby Jones. And I'm honored to have Bob back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Bob, thanks for coming back on the show. Chris, happy to happy to come back, and uh, I understand a belated birthday to you. I appreciate that very much. Thank you, sir. Bob, I got to ask you, I know you retired last summer. Have you been able to stay retired, or are we pulling you back in the game? Well, 
I say that I'm retired. I don't have a job per se, <laughs> but uh, I am staying pretty busy. And I can tell you retirement is not overrated. I've had a ball since June. June 1st is when I retired from Seminole, having retired from Oak Mine in 2016 after the U.S. Open there. And uh, I've just had a ball, you know, doing things I really haven't been able to do for, you know, 40 years. So just being in charge of my own uh, 24 hours a day uh, has been a thrill for me. Bob, like most everybody knows, and I mentioned in your intro, you were the head golf professional at two of the most prestigious golf courses in the world, Oakmont and Seminole Golf Club. So it wasn't like you had jobs at small little country clubs where you might be able to find moments of peace of mind and get some time for yourself. How did you ever do that? How did you ever get time for yourself when you were, I have to imagine, always on call for the membership at both of those places year-round? Well, you know, you make time for yourself. And, uh, you know, I've got a great wife and three great kids. And, you know, we spent a lot of time together. And the kids are all gone now, you know, gone their own way. But, uh, you know, I got to tell you, it uh, it came pretty easy to me. And uh, like I said, Nancy, my wife, is incredibly uh supportive of all of that and you know she was the strength of our family and uh you know i loved what i did i really didn't look at it like it was uh it wasn't much of a challenge it was all pretty easy to both those clubs are such high-end clubs with high golf iqs that uh people were you know they were terrific i you know nobody nobody's too difficult that's for sure so it, it came easy it was fun it went fast and, uh, but I put my time in, and uh, you know now it's my turn, my my time to have fun. Bob, one of the hot topics on tour is the emergence of a potential Saudi league. Some of the players looking to potentially go over there, play on that tour. But we've seen this thing before. In the late '60s, the touring pros broke away from the PGA of America because they weren't happy with what was going on there. They created their own entity called the American Professional Golfers. Eventually, they got folded back into the PGA of America. They became an autonomous division unto themselves, which what we call now the PGA Tour. So should players, especially the legends of the game, be really all that upset about a potential other tour because we've seen something similar before? Chris, I, I, don't, uh, I don't think it's good for the good of the game. I, I'm not a fan of it. I, I really don't. You know, I think it's just whimpering. I don't know if it's even going to start. Uh, I just can't see any of our American players that, you know, still have game left, uh, are going to jump, uh, to this league. I, I think it's, I think it's really filled with failure. And, uh, I, I just don't think it's going to happen. I really don't. I, I mean, they're, they're struggling so hard. They got to get 48 players and now they're down to inviting amateurs to play. So, uh, you know, to, to have, have had all of the explosions that they've had and setbacks. I'm just surprised that the Saudis don't just pull the plug and sit back and try again and try a different route because uh, this, this is not working. When I was looking back over the things that you've accomplished in your career, you had an opportunity to maybe shoot 59 or better at Latrobe Country Club, Mr. Palmer's home course. He owned the course record there. He shot 60 in September of 1969. I read that you were nine under with several holes to play, but you picked up your golf ball and you walked off the course because you didn't want to break Mr. Palmer's course record on his home course. Talk about why. Well, it's sort of true. 
you know, we were playing Palmer Cup matches, which are the Tri-State PGA versus the West Penn Amateurs. And uh, I was fortunate to play with Ned Weaver, my partner, and we were playing against Sean Knapp and Nathan Smith, who were, you know, two of the best amateurs in the state, and maybe, you know, the country at that time. I mean, you know, Nathan won four U.S. Med amateurs. Sean just won the U.S. Senior Amateurs. So, I mean, they were, they were great players, great friends of mine. And, uh, you know, I just had a hot hand that day. And, you know, they wanted, I would quit on 14, I think. The match was over on 14. And so they said, well, come on, you'll, you'll, you'll end up breaking Carney's record. You got another par five coming up and an easy hole. So I said, come on, boys, let's go have a beer. We're not, we're not doing that to Arnold and Arnold's hometown, his home golf course. And he's kind enough to lend his name to our matches and kind enough to play in them. He was in the group ahead of me. So, I mean, you'd have to be a real dork to, to, you know, shoot 59 and take his record doing all the things that he'd done for us. So, uh, it, it was an easy decision and they made a little bit more of it than, than they should have. But, uh, it was a fun day for me. I'll tell you that. I bet it was. Speaking of Mr. Palmer, the 1994 U.S. Open at Oakmont was Mr. Palmer's final U.S. Open. It was fitting for him to go out playing one last Open there. He wasn't going to make the cut, so that Friday was going to be his final round. But during the course of that day was the infamous police car chase of O.J. Simpson and his white Bronco on the freeway in L.A. Were you guys aware of what was taking place out there while simultaneously trying to keep watch as Mr. Palmer finished up his last round? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that was that was big news. That's right. I kind of forgot about that, but you're right. Yeah. What was it like for you and the staff? Because the King deserved a big deal and a big press conference and all the accolades from everything that he had meant to the game of golf and to the U.S. Open, the USGA, and certainly to Oakmont. How did you guys focus on him and give him what he deserved and what he was owed versus keeping an eye on what's going on out there in L.A.? Well, we didn't, we didn't really have much time for O.J. and his little white Bronco. We, we were paying attention to Arnold and- <laughs> You know, being on site there was just an incredible feeling and, uh, you know, the love for Arnold, the love that he had for the people of Western Pennsylvania, Oakmont, and the game itself and the U.S. Open. Uh, you know, it's sad to see it come to an end. Bob, I know you and Mr. Palmer got to spend a lot of time together over the years. What are some of your favorite memories of getting to spend time with him? Well, I was just reminded of one by Jake Siegel the other day. I played with Jay down here in South Florida. And he said, remember, 83, the practice turn would play with Arnold. And I said, sure do. And uh, I had played with, um, or I caddied for Crenshaw in the fall of what have been 82. So if I, if I play in the open, we play a practice round with me. And he said he would. And I called him after I qualified and said, uh, well, you know, let's play on. Uh, on Wednesday, he said, yeah, that'd be great. And I got Jay Siegel to play with us. I grew up caddying for Jay and, uh, and, and Arnold was going to play with us. So we get to the golf course and, uh, Ben comes up and says, uh, hey, I got Miller Barber to join. I'm like, oh, geez, we already have four, you know, we're all set. So well, I got to play with Miller, you know, can't, I can't dump, dust him. So he said, why don't you ask uh, P.J. Boatwright was running the Open for the USJ at the time. So why don't you ask P.J.? So I went up to P.J. and I told him the story. And 
And he said, you got Arnold with you? I said, yes, sir, we do. Arnold, uh, Arnold's going to play, you know, in the practice round with us. We got five, though. I said, well, keep up with the group ahead of you, which he never, never let anybody play five. But because Arnold was with us, McKing in Western Pennsylvania at Oakmont, he let us go. So <laughs> we had a ball. It was great. But Arnold, uh, you know, he always invited me to play a practice round with him at the, uh, opens or PGAs that I happened to qualify for. And he was just so good to me. It was incredible. And just, uh, obviously one of the, one of the greatest guys in the, in the game and in the world. Speaking of qualifying, you qualified in 2018 for the senior open championship. Talk about what it was like qualifying for that event and then getting in and being a part of it. Well, you know, I'd never gotten to play St. Andrews, uh, in a, in a, in a championship like that. It was always a dream of mine, but you know, the British Open was always held in, in July, actually the same week as, uh, Oakmont's, uh, invitational. So I could never get away to try to qualify and go play in the British Open, which would have been a dream for me when I, you know, back when I could play. But the senior British was, uh, the next thing for me. And, uh, yeah, I went over there, uh, actually played in maybe three of them. And, uh, the last one was the one at St. Andrews and, uh, you know, to play in a, in a championship there and walk around those, those links, it just, it was religious for me. I didn't play very well, but, uh, just had a great time. Just tried to soak it all in. Sadly, I was only there for two rounds, not four, but, but just to qualify and, and uh, play in it was a big deal for me. And, and to go that far and to qualify, you know, to miss and then go home, a long way to go home after, you know, after a bad round. So. At least I got to play. It was a real thrill. Bob, one thing I think I know that I would love to do, and I'm sure many of our listeners would love to do, is to just walk Oakmont with you. As if you were the curator of it, of Oakmont as a great museum of golf history. If we got to take the journey with you around Oakmont, whether it was you know through the clubhouse or around the golf course, what are some really, I don't know, cool, interesting history moments that you would really want us to be able to see and experience? Well, you know, I, I have the privilege to have some guests from time to time up there and uh, hang on one second here. And, you know, the first thing we do is go through the clubhouse because the clubhouse itself is a museum. I mean, Oakmont is such an incredible part of the history of the game, you know, starting back in 1919 and with Bobby Jones and you know, all the great players of all through the decades. And so they've all played there, which is very unusual for a golf course to still be in existence today, still hosting the best players in the world today. You know, a lot of the golf courses have gotten outdated and, and, uh, you know, they don't play championships there anymore. So we've got kind of a history hall that has all the championships, uh, documented and, you know, some great pictures of them and, uh, you know, you just get a feel for that history. It's just extraordinary. Now the golf course, Chris, you know, is, is void of the trees the way that the phone family, uh, intended for it to be a, a links like golf course. And, uh, you know, it's just to have it back to their form. And, and we've got actually have Gil Hans coming in 23 to, you know, I guess, you know, we've got to reduce irrigation. We're going to redo the bunkers and we're going to expand some of the greens and extend a few more tees and, and in light of the 25 U.S. Open coming on. So, 
Uh, he's, Gil has really studied the phone era, you know, since the phone, you know, actually died away in the early, in the late forties and early fifties. We've had Robert Trent Jones, we've had Fazio, we've had Arthur Hills, we've had Ferdinand Garvin. You know, the list goes on of people touching Oakmont and, uh, Gil, uh, you know, he went back and studied all the features that that the phones family had and is really going back to all of those pictures and, and everything that he's going to put on the ground will have been there in the past and kind of get rid of all the other things that some of these other architects have done, which, you know, which haven't been bad. I mean, Oakmont's been great all through the decades, but, you know, it's really one of the oldest courses in our country that, that has that still host major championships. And that was the goal of the founders. You know, they set out to build one of the hardest golf courses in the world to challenge and, and host national championships. And that's kind of, that's our, that's their legacy. And it's up to us to continue that legacy. And it's not really up for question. It's not like, uh, do the members want to do it? Well, the members don't have a choice. Well, that's what we're doing. And, uh, so that's, you know, walking around there and, and just feeling some of the shots, the, you know, the church pews, uh, the green complexes are just extraordinary. And, you know, to go back for five U.S. Opens and, you know, can go back and recall, you know, a number of turning points, a number of shots. I mean, Tiger, just just Tiger's round there on Sunday in 07, just, I just want to choke. He just played so beautifully and just came up with nothing. He just made nothing at Oakmont. You know, the, the greens are so incredible there. And I told him, he came in April when the greens were bumpy. And I said, Tiger, when you come back in June, you're going to put on the best greens you've ever put on in your life. And, you know, in the, you know, like Larry Nelson, she's 65, 67 on the weekend. And he must, you know, I made, I don't know, 15 birdies or something. So, you know, when it's doable out there, you can make a lot of birdies. And, uh, I think that's one of the great things about Oakmont. I think the 07 Open was the only one that was in my five that was over par. And it was the only one that was dry. You know, Cabrera won, obviously, and beat, uh, Jimmy Furyk and Tiger by a shot, but it was, he was plus five. It was the only Open in my five that they were over par. So they've been under par every time. It's been wet every time except for 07. And, uh, and Tiger just, uh, he had it in his grip and he just couldn't make any putts. Just amazing. Bob, just a couple of more before I let you go. And you got to play around the golf with three guys who were the main characters in the 1960 World Series. Ralph Terry, Bill Mazeroski, and Bob Friend. For those that don't know, Bill Mazeroski of the Pirates hit a home run off Ralph Terry of the Yankees in the bottom of the ninth of Game 7 of the 1960 World Series to win that game and the series for the Pirates. But here those three guys were back together, playing around the golf with you at Oakmont. And like I say, Ralph Terry was a heck of a golf played out on the Champions Tour for a while. What was it like being with those three guys and playing around the golf at Oakmont? Well, it was incredible. You know, Ralph Terry, he's one of the greatest guys ever. He uh, you know, won on the senior tour. He could really play golf. Just one, He just passed away a couple of weeks ago. And... uh he was a great friend of Dennis Walters, who's my dear friend here in Jupiter, who was paralyzed from a golf cart accident, you know, fledging young tour player and, and, and crippled now, you know, uh, paraplegic, uh, from the waist down. 
and but he does all the trick shots too, and he he's in the world golf hall of fame, and he's getting ready. Dennis is getting ready to play in you know handicap tournaments, and USJ is actually going to have a U.S. Open in July for handicap players, and he's just we've been working on his game, and he's out in Houston this week playing in a golf tournament for the first time in 47 years, and he's like a kid in a candy store, and I'm so excited. But Ralph Perry was. An incredible friend to uh, Dennis because he was at the club that Dennis had the accident at. So, and he watched Dennis, you know, pick up his life and do what he did, and is just a huge fan of his. But Ralph Terry was really one of the great guys uh, in, in golf and in baseball. And you know, Bob Friend was a terrific guy. He was actually my golf chairman at Oakmont for a number of years. He served on the board. He was uh, a fun player, fun guy. His son Bobby Friend played on the PJ Tour. Lost in a playoff to Billy Andre in Canada back in the early 90s. And uh, he's done playing now, but he's a hardworking guy in the real estate business in Pittsburgh. And uh, great people. And Mazeroski's Maz. I mean, Maz is just the salt of the earth, as good as they get. And, uh, you know, what a hero. What a, what a Pittsburgh hero he is. And uh, it was, a, you know, an incredible thrill, you know, for me to get to play with Arnold and Jack and, and then Mazeroski and friend and, and those guys just uh, really, really, really inspiring people and great stories. And uh, what a privilege to play with them. Bob, one more. And like I mentioned in your intro, you won the 2017 Bob, uh, 2017 Bob Jones Award. When you watch the video and the number of people that are interviewed about you and what you've meant to them and the game, you could start a statement with Bob Ford is the greatest and fill in the blank here. And you could fill that blank with greatest club professional ever, greatest mentor, greatest tournament director, greatest teacher of the game. I could go on and on. That has to be awfully fulfilling, knowing what a great impact you've had, not only on the game, but on so many people's lives. It's awful nice of you to say. And uh, it really, it's, even the Bob Jones Award really has sunk in for me. But, uh, you know, you just be nice to people and uh, anticipate their needs, take care of them, and, uh, you know, good things happen to you. But uh, my cup runneth over, and, uh, you know, I'm 68, and my turn to get back a little bit more than I've gotten, and uh, and hopefully I can continue to do that for a while. Well, Bob, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your night to come back and be a part of this show. It's always a huge thrill spending time with you. You're just one of the all-time greats in our game. And I thank you very much, and I hope I get the privilege of having you back on the show again soon. Oh, anytime, Chris. You take care of yourself, buddy. Thank you. I appreciate you, Bob. Take care. All the best to you and your family. That is the great Bob Ford, folks. And when I say say this, I mean it with all sincerity. It just doesn't get any better. Not in our game. Greatest professional, PGA professional of all time, one of the great individuals. And like I say, he won the Bob Jones Award for a reason. And that's because of the great and positive impact he's not only had on our game, but on so many people in and around our game. A great gentleman, a great champion, and uh, just a wonderful individual. And I am so thrilled that I get to spend some time with him. and, And I hope I get that opportunity again very soon. Okay, before I get to my next guest, Matthew Lawrence, I want to remind you about our friends over at Two Under. Two Under Men's Performance Briefs have just released their new Spring and Summer 22 collections with fun, new, and exciting prints like the Freedom 2 and 3, 
Santa Fe, Tigers, Zebras, and Duckies. And their new exclusive Folds of Honor collection, where they donate 20% of all Folds of Honor sales proceeds to that cause. The patented Joey Pouch technology delivers maximum comfort, fit, and performance while preventing any unwanted skin-on-skin contact or chafing. Good for anything from the golf course, to the boardroom, to the bedroom. You can find these two underperformance briefs in over 4,000 golf pro shops nationwide, all Shields sports stores, all PGA Tour superstores, Golf Galaxy, Dillard's, and other fine retailers near you. You can also order them online at twounder.com. That's the number two, UNDR.com. Two under, performance in your pants. Use code NEXTT20, that's N-X-T-T-E-E-20, for a 20% discount on the Two Under website. Also want to give a shout out to our friends over at Golf Pride. In golf, light grip pressure releases power. Golf Pride engineered a secret the pros know. A larger lower hand encourages lighter pressure. Plus four technology is designed with four additional layers, which reduces tension in the lower hand to generate more power. Play plus four and release the secret the pros know. Now available on Tour Velvet, the winningest grip on Tour. Grip confidence, grip golf pride. Okay, now back with me is one of my all-time favorite actors, radio hosts, and people on the planet for that matter, and that's Matthew Lawrence. You guys hear me talking about Matthew's show Backspin Golf all the time because it's fantastic and the best way to start your Sunday mornings. You can stream it online by going to WLXG.com or downloading the WLXG app. The show starts at 8.03 a.m. Eastern Time. Going back to 2020, Matthew was recognized by the Kentucky section of the PGA of America as their media representative of the year for his great contributions to the game. Among Matthew's great work on screen is his stellar performance as bass player Salamato in the movie Eddie and the Cruisers. You guys know is one of my all-time favorite movies. I've seen it about a hundred times and I could recite lines with Matthew, which might be fun to do sometime. You've probably also seen Matthew on Saturday Night Live, Beverly Hills 90210, One Tree Hill, 30-something, and dozens of other TV shows. Matthew has also been a sideline reporter and hosted pre- and post-game shows for Duke Basketball and now Kentucky Basketball. He also hosts a daily show on WLXG ESPN Radio up in Lexington, Kentucky. He's a tremendous talent and an even better friend, and I can't thank him enough for coming back and being a part of tonight's show. Sir Matthew, how are you, my friend? I'm exhausted listening to all that. <laughs> I'm exhausted. As you should be. You've done a I lot, mean, my friend. I have, and I'm really old, and and it's all settling in as I listen to you. And you left out a whole bunch of stuff. I mean, no doubt. You know, well, but I mean that. Yeah, but that's okay. I can't but okay. you have your whole IMBD whatever you know yeah. list of things yeah. you've done. Yes. Uh, How are you, my friend? You left out the the first job I ever did. I got a Coke commercial. That's how I got my SAG card. Tell (laughs) me that story. And it was, oh, man. Uh, All right. You're going to make me cry again. That's what I do. I always do on your show. I know. That's that's what I do. That's what you do. (laughs) Um, And I'm fine, by the way. And thanks, as always, for including me. I mean, I always, the thing is, I, you, your guests are always so unbelievable that I always follow somebody and I sit there listening and I'm going, I, I can't be on the show with Bob Ford. Are, are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, 
That was fantastic. Uh, all right, the short version, <laughs> which sometimes I have trouble with, as you know, um, I was I was in the early seventies. That's right. That's how old I am. In the early seventies, I went to the neighborhood playhouse for a year uh, after I graduated from college, and uh, after that, I started working as a waiter which I did for about seven years in New York City, taking acting classes uh, with the great Uta Hagen and uh, just trying to get a job. And back then, there were no parts for young people. It wasn't like there was a 90210 or, or really any of those shows. And I looked very young. I looked a lot younger than I actually was. So I had a lot of trouble. I had trouble getting an agent for a long time. And I did off-off-Broadway theater. And like most actors, as I said, I was a waiter. Uh, my dad, uh, and this is the hard part, my dad and my mom were the most supportive people in the world. And it was rough on my dad because he worried. He worried, you know, as parents do about their kids. and. He knew that I wanted to act, but I I couldn't get a job that would pay me, and I didn't have my Screen Actors Guild card, which to him was, that meant that I was really an actor. If I were in the union, that meant that I was really an actor. And I had a friend that I went to the neighborhood playhouse with who became an agent. And I used to go hang out at his office all the time, and... One day, after literally about six or seven years of, of trying to do this, um, he finally put me in touch with the person at the office that sent people out for commercial. And he set up an audition for a Coke commercial. Uh, he said, well, we're not going to sign you, but, you know, go out on this audition. Let's see what happens. And I went out and I got this job. And it was the easiest thing I ever did it was a guy in a pizza place in New York, and somebody came up to the counter, and I handed them a Coke, basically. And through that job, I got my Screen Actors Guild card. And I remember, oh boy, I remember calling my dad and telling him that I had gotten this job and that I, I would be able to get into the union. And he started to cry. And I come from a family of criers. And uh it really was like a day that he said he never forgot because it meant so much to him that I was now kind of official, you know. And um the sad part of this is that the first real job that I got, which was a movie called Prince of the City um, with one of the great directors of all time, Sidney Lumet, um, and that's started my whole acting career, uh, my dad passed away about two months before I actually got that job. But I always felt just that co-commercial and getting the Screen Actors Guild card, that's what I remembered about the joy he had about that. Did he get to see you in the co-commercial? He did see me in the co-commercial. And that, too, was one of the great things ever. <laughs> but we didn't have cell phones back then. And so uh 
he tried to get in touch with me, and I remember coming home to a voicemail uh, from my dad and how excited he was that he had seen me on the TV. And it literally was for maybe, I don't know, three seconds, maybe. <laughs> but uh, but it, that was enough for him. Did your mom get to see you in all the the movies and the things that you've done? Oh, yeah. Yes, my mom, uh, my, my brother, Mitchie, who you've had on the show also, uh, our mom passed away. I think it's only maybe four or five years now. She was in her early nineties and she saw everything. Um, and that's, that was always such a blessing for me. I took her, your favorite movie, Eddie and the Cruisers, as a matter of fact, when we finished shooting that movie, uh, they did a, a rap party for the movie in down, in New York City downtown at this huge bar where the whole cast and crew got together and just had an amazing night. And I actually brought my mom to the cast and crew party, uh, and she had the time of her life. And then, uh, we saw the screening of the movie a couple nights later with the cast and crew also and she was there for that too she saw luckily enough she saw everything that i did she came to uh when i was on duet on fox for three years she saw many of those shows she came out to la um so luckily my mom did get to see a lot of a lot of my work matthew speaking of eddie and the cruisers and one of the many things that i find amazing about that movie is how many cigarettes you guys smoke and that in making that, how many cigarettes did you go through, and how did you guys survive that? Survive it? It was forty years ago. I mean, I I survived pretty well. Uh, I don't know, five packs a day. I don't. You got to remember. Goodness. Here, well, here, here's the thing, and I don't know how many it was, but here's the thing. Uh, and if you hear barking, my dogs are about to go berserk here on me. I'm walking away. Uh, here's the thing. When you're doing a scene, movies like that, where, I mean, I've been watching, like we all have, a lot of Netflix and a lot of different movies and different things. And I don't even remember what it was the other night. I was watching one and every scene, every person was smoking in every scene. It was something in the early 60s, I think. And when you're shooting a movie, and you're smoking in a scene. Every time they say cut, you have to, and then they go to do it again, you have to have the cigarette in the same place that it was before, after they do the master, which I've explained to you on this show before, which is the, the, the big shot with everybody in it. And then they, if they get that, they do close up. So you're constantly like with smoking. You, I've done movies in Eddie and the Cruisers. Uh, you know, I've done movies where you had to eat something and you had to do it over and over and over and over again until you were sick by the end of the day. Um, so yeah, there was a lot of cigarette smoking going on then, but everybody smoked back then. It was a long time ago. Yeah. Uh, let's yeah. talk some golf. I mean, I, rumor has it this is a golf show, so maybe we should talk a little little <laughs> golf. And, and okay, um, we haven't we haven't uh, had you on since the Masters. So, uh, your thoughts? 
take me back to when you were watching Scotty Scheffler and what was unfolding and how well he was playing and, and Tiger sort of making his way, limping his way around Augusta National. What, what did you think about what you saw over the course of the tournament? Well, here's, here's the great thing. And as I've said to you before, I am a huge Tiger Woods fan. Uh, aside from everything that happened to him in 2009 and all that stuff, I'm just talking about the golf and his career. Uh, and I've always been a huge Tiger fan in that respect and even more so now. Um, so the whole week, Masters week and the couple weeks leading up to it, when we weren't sure, we didn't know if he was going to play. And then people started tracking his plane. You would see all these people just obsessed with, you know, the app where you can track a private plane and he just left Florida and he's on his way to Augusta. And, uh, you know, all that stuff. Um, and then he played the nine holes one day and then went back and played another nine. And as that kind of excitement built, all I kept thinking was that, and I couldn't stop thinking about it while I was watching him the whole time, that a little over a year ago, he had almost died. And almost lost his leg. And they told him he would never walk again if he lived. And what it took, he was in a hospital bed for three months after that accident. So basically, in nine months' time, the work every day for hours that he had to put in, and we all saw it when he was walking around Augusta, he can't flex his foot. He has so many plates and rods and pins in his leg and all I could think about was what he was doing there and all I wanted was for him to make the cut that was I kept saying if he can play well enough on Thursday and Friday and make it through physically to make the cut I don't care if he hits a tee shot Saturday morning and then says I can't do it anymore just what it would have taken for him to make the cut. And what he did was absolutely astounding, astounding for him to finish that golf tournament. You've been there and I've been there. It's the hardest walk in golf and it's not even close. And I, I the whole time I just marveled at, at what an incredible accomplishment that was. And for his kids, both of them, um, not just Charlie, but both his kids to see what he did for the last year and the love. I mean, on Monday, you saw the shots of the practice round. There were 10,000 people out there watching his practice round, nine holes. I mean, it, the whole thing, I'm, I still can't get over what he did. Uh, and as far, oh yeah, there was a golf tournament too. That's right. <laughs> uh, um, you know, Scotty Scheffler, what he did was amazing too because, uh, of the way he carries himself, the way he, you know, these guys are all great. These, we know it. These guys are all great. And for the pressure, especially with him winning a couple times and then being number one after 70 tournaments where he didn't win and then he wins three times and now he's number one in the world. And Cameron Smith, who I love that guy too, 
to see that that day unfold on Sunday where everybody thought, oh, Scheffler's not losing this lead, and the next thing you know, it was one shot. And the way he responded to that was, I thought it was, a lot of people thought this was a boring Masters. I don't think, number one, there's any such thing as a boring Masters. And I thought, you know, what Scotty Scheffler did, and Cam Smith also, made for great television watching and a great golf tournament. And ending on Sunday, right before Scotty got the green jacket, those holeouts by first Rory and then Colin Morikawa from the bunker on 18, that was among my favorite five moments in golf. That, that was the most amazing thing to watch. As Murakawa's ball got close to the hole, I went, this can't happen. This cannot happen. So that's how I feel about the Masters. I thought it was great. <laughs> so let's fast forward to the week after the Masters. We saw Jordan Spieth get his 16th tour victory during a week where he yep. didn't putt, you know, very well. But as, as right. I recall from listening to Backspin Golf, which you know I do every Sunday morning, um, you've played Harbortown, you. right? I've played Harbortown. I've, I've been blessed to play it many times, actually. And, you know, the, the great thing, Chris, and I always say this to you, too, when you've played, when you've been blessed enough to play courses, any course, that you can watch a PGA event on television and and have been on that golf course and know what's there and how it feels on that hole and just different things about it or where you could say, yeah, I've been there. You know, like when they hit it in the trees, that's when <laughs> I go, oh, I've been there. I mean, I've, you know, um, <laughs> it, it's great to be able to do that. And for years, uh, my brother and myself and a bunch of our friends were lucky uh, to play in a golf tournament in Hilton Head for many years, a great charity golf tournament down there. And uh, we play, we would play Arthur Hills one day and then one other course. And then Sunday we would get to play Harbor town. And uh, actually this is, this is a great, I just told the story to somebody the other day. We, we always talk about, um, people that we play golf with when we meet them on the first tee and we don't know them and what's happened there, you know, resulting from that. I was at Harbor Town one uh, year for the tournament and I showed up at on the putting green and these three guys came up to me that I was going to be paired with that day in the in the celebrity part of it. And this one guy had he was where he he must have had two thousand dollars worth of golf clothes on. He had alligator golf shoes and the most expensive shirt and straw hat and his clubs and everything. And we got to the first tee and I as is my custom, I started giving him a lot of crap on the first tee <laughs> about what he was wearing and and uh I because I talked to him for a minute and I could tell he could handle it. So for about the first seven or eight holes, I was just merciless on this guy. And he would laugh. And his son was playing with us that day. And about the seventh or eighth hole, we were waiting on the tee to hit. And I turned to his son and I said, what the hell does he do for a living? And his son says, 
He's the head of the West Virginia State Troopers. <laughs> I said, what? That he's the head of the West Virginia State Troopers. So I went walking over to his dad and I went, is he telling me the truth? Are you the head of the West Virginia State Troopers? He said, yes, sir, I am. And I said, oh, this is too good to be true. I said, every one of us has wanted to talk to a state trooper the way I've been talking to you today. And I messed his hair up. I did all kinds of stuff to him. He, I wish I could, it's so long ago, I wish I could remember his name. But about a week later, I got a box in, I was living in L.A. then. I got a box uh, that was sent to me. And he got my address through the tournament and sent me a whole bunch of West Virginia State Trooper things, a beautiful tie that had their insignia on it and a, a baseball cap and all kinds of stuff that he sent to me. And when I think of Hilton Head, that's one of the first things that I think about. That's kind of a little <laughs> off the trail of the story. But um, <laughs> that golf course is, you, and again, as with most courses, Chris, you can't tell on TV. You really can't. They show you how small the greens are. They're smaller than that. I mean, that is a really it's beautiful, but that is a really difficult golf course. Uh, and to see those guys, you know, and not all of them, a lot of them had trouble on that golf course, but to see those guys, you know, uh, hit flop shots over bunkers when, cause you don't have to miss a green by much there. And the beauty is in the green there. So, uh, it's, it was fantastic to watch. I love that Jordan won it again, even missing a, you know, four inch putt and putting as badly as he did. Cause I'm a huge Jordan speed fan. Did, did you see, uh, what he did at the end of the tournament yes. with the kids? Yes. How great was uh, that? For, for people listening, uh, who don't know what we're talking about, as soon as he finished, he walked off the 18th green. He didn't know if he was going to be in a playoff. And there were all probably 30 or 40 kids wanting him to sign things. And he said, I have to go sign my scorecard, and I don't know if there'll be a playoff. But whenever I get done, I will come back out here and sign. I promise. Well, we all know what happened. And it took about two hours. And he went signed for every one of those kids that had waited for him for a long time. It was that was fantastic. I loved that guy and I'm really happy that that he won again. Matthew, one more before I let you go. When people get to be okay. a, around our age, we start thinking about oh, well, what our well, legacy. Well, wait a minute. Is, well, hold it. Hold it. Excuse me, I have to stop you. When you say around our age, that is, uh, you're the best podcast host in the business, but that's a lie. Okay. <laughs> it's just a lie. I don't want you to you're feel old. I'm not going to say you're old. Stop. Why not? It's the truth. Because. People can, can look at Wikipedia and see when I was born. It's okay. <laughs> it's fine. It's just a number, Chris. Anyway. Okay. Yeah. When you get to be as old as we are, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> You start to think yeah. about legacy and what legacy you're going to leave behind. And you're a person who has been woven in the fabric of entertainment for the 80s, the 90s, and obviously now on radio from transition from TV to movie, movies to radio. But 
You're, you've been the media representative of the year for the Kentucky PGA section. You've broadcasted for two of the top college basketball programs that we have in Duke and Kentucky. You host two great radio shows on ESPN radio there in Kentucky. You've done this show or Thursday night tailgate 18 times, which I think is your best work, but I could be biased. But <laughs> outside of your family, your two boys, what's the legacy that you want to be remembered for? Oh, boy. Um, what I hope, see, you always do this to me. What I hope I'm remembered for is that I was kind to everybody. Um, and that's, I really, I can honestly say I have tried to do that every day of my life in one way or another. I haven't always succeeded. I've been pushed to the limit a lot of times. But I hope that when I go, people will say that I was really a kind man. I think that's, uh, especially now with the times we're living in, I think that's incredibly important. And I get, I get that from my family, um, from my mother and father. And I hope that's my legacy. Mission accomplished, my friend. That's already in the book. Matthew, before I let you go, remind our listeners again, how can they stay up to date with all the great things you're doing and listen to your shows? Uh, you can listen to Backspin Golf every Sunday morning at 8.03 Eastern uh, on WLXG.com. And you hit Listen Live or you can download our mobile app. Uh, and that's for my daily show as well from noon to 2 every day, Monday through Friday. Uh, thank goodness basketball season is over, so I don't have to worry about that until <laughs> next October because that's a long season with a lot of stuff going on. Um, but WLXG.com is always the best way to find me. Matthew, you're the best, my friend. I can't thank you enough for coming back and being a part of the show again tonight. I always cherish the time with you. I hope we get to do it again soon. Me too. No, we will. Just ask me. We will. <laughs> I appreciate you, my Thanks, friend. Love Chris. you. All the best to you Love and your you, family. Man. You See too, Matthew. Pal. See you. That's a great Matthew Lawrence. And um, it just doesn't come any better, folks. I mean, to go from Bob Ford to Matthew Lawrence um, and then Scott McCarron to start the show. But um, great, great individual Matthew Lawrence is. I love him like a brother that I've never met in person, <laughs> if you can believe that. We've known each other for many years, um, but it's always been through social media, phone calls, and, and our shows. Um, bucket list item is to uh, see Matthew Lawrence in the flesh, but uh, a finer individual you will not find. And uh, if that's what he wants his legacy to be, to be a kind man, that is already in the books. From a, a wonderful human being to a great actor to a great talent. I look forward to catching up with Matthew again soon. Before I get to my next guest, Chris Kosky, I want to talk to you about our friends over at Adele Golf. Have you been custom fit for your putter or even for your wedges? Adele Golf is the industry leader in scoring club fitting. Their putter fitting system is the most complete putter fitting system in golf. The EAS line of putters can get your putting dialed in. Also check out their swing match system wedges with weight adjustability to make sure your wedges are truly fit to your swing. Go to AdeleGolf.com and schedule your fitting today.
I also want to give a shout out to our friends over at Squares Golf. Are you like me, always considering new golf equipment, maybe a new driver? Well, let me reset your thinking because I discovered Squares Golf Shoes. The patented Squares Toe provides balance, stability, and a wider base for increased connection to the ground, effectively increasing your swing speed by 2.2 miles per hour and an average of 9 yards of distance. Independent testing proves it. That's right. It's proven in science. Go to squares.com, get the Squares 30-day money-back guarantee, and use promo code DISTANCE to get $20 off. Remember, distance comes from swing speed, and swing speed comes from your connection to the ground. Squares, the distance golf shoe. Okay, now next on the tee with me is Adele Chief Marketing Officer, Chris Kosky. Adele Golf is a wonderful new sponsor of the show this year, and I've known Chris for several years. He first joined me back in June of 2015, so he's been a friend for nearly seven years now. Prior to joining Adele, Chris was the Global Director of Product Strategy for Callaway Golf, focusing on their Odyssey putters and wedges. Then he moved over to Superstroke Golf as their VP of Marketing and now CMO at Adele. And I'm excited he is back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Chris, thanks for coming back on the show. I'm good, Chris. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming back. Chris, It's uh, it's been a minute since we got to, to spend some time with you here on the show. Um, yeah. Kind of run us through, remind our listeners about the great career you've had in the game of golf, the things you've done and what you're doing now. Yeah, no, I'd love to. It's, uh, it's interesting. Um, you know, of course, I, I spent 11 years at Callaway and got to oversee the, the product strategy for, for Odyssey for about eight of those years. And, um, then on the super strokes, I took a few years outside of golf and, and believe it or not, I actually, uh, I worked for a company that built climbing and zipline equipment for amusement parks and climbing gyms. Uh, one of the ironic things about that is I'm definitely afraid of heights. So uh, I kind of uh, With powered my way through that for a while. It was um, quite terrifying being up at the top of a climbing wall with a camera and helping helping my team shoot a uh, video, which was just uh, something that put me out of my comfort zone. Uh, but I was able to move the family to the Denver area. And, um, you know, I, I, as much as I love golf, I, I love skiing and so many other uh, different hobbies. And uh, it was a great place to, to take the family. So, um, yeah, I did that for a few years. And then in September of 2020, I got a call from my good friend, Nick LaFell, who uh, he ran Pro Tour for Callaway for a long time. And he asked if I wanted to get back into golf and that uh, he had this opportunity at Dell. And so here I am today. So it's been a, a fun ride the last year and a half, but uh, it's good to be back in golf and, and kind of reunited with my passion. So, Chris, let's talk about Adele Golf. And for those who may not be as familiar with the brand, talk about David Adele and the, and the philosophy he has for the company. Yeah, so uh, a company that is, is built on uh, fitting, a heritage of, of no outliers. And, uh, you know, David is, uh, to call him a renaissance man, wouldn't do it justice. Uh, the guy has um, some of the biggest inventions in golf history. Um, grew up a fitter for Henry Griffiths and, and really began to understand the power of the components and, and building a toolbox for fitters to, to give people uh, a fit like no other company in the golf industry can. Uh, and then on to, 
you know, creating single length irons for Bryson that uh, Bryson ended up winning the NCAA in the US Am with, uh, to, um, you know, a number of different inventions from wedges to putters to irons. And we've got this, you know, short game or scoring niche, if you will, uh, with the products that we're bringing out and, uh, and really just trying to be the most fitter friendly company out there and, and giving people a toolbox, uh, so they don't have to compromise the fit of any golf club they ever use again. On your website at dellgolf.com, speaking of fitters, David talks about one of the differences between what you guys do versus what other companies do is, is you're trying to help people hit better golf shots. You're not just in the business of selling us a new club every six to 12 months. Talk about the focus on trying to help us be better golfers. Yeah, it's great. I mean, it starts, you know, David is a 25 year PGA member, uh, has a teaching background, um, early on in, in Coeur d'Alene and then down into to South America. And it truly is his belief that, you know, we can fit you for a putter one time and you can have that putter for the rest of your life. Now, as a person who runs sales and marketing, I'd like people to buy new when we come out with new, <laughs> but that's it. Should last your entire life. Um, and, and it's one of the cool things is, as I experience it and I go on the road, uh, Three weeks ago, I was in Boston at a PGA coaching and teaching summit, and uh, this lady walked up to me and she said, yeah, I'm a, a master staffer with one of the big OEMs, and I told them that I'm only going to have a 13-club deal with them because I was fit by David into this putter, and I'll never change it. Uh, and that was 10 years ago that she got fit for that putter. And, uh, and I hear so many of those stories. Uh, it's mind blowing. I was actually at our headquarters today in Liberty Hill, Texas, and one of the pros from a local course came in. He said that he's about to join staff with another major OEM, but he said the same thing. He said, but they're not taking the putter. Um, and it, it's just so funny watching that happen everywhere I go and hearing these stories that, you know, people get just this amazing fit that they don't feel like they can be confident with any other putter ever again. It, it, it's wild to see. One of the other things, and you talk about being fit for putters, that that uh, I've heard David talk about is just how bad most of us are at how we aim our putters. Talk about what yeah. you guys have seen with regards to how far many of us are off and how you guys can help us fix that. Uh, it's funny because in my past life, we developed a lot of putters that had... um different aiming technology on them and, you know, done a lot of consumer research on aim and it's the number one reason that people buy a putter. Um, but almost nobody knows how bad they really aim. So in our fitting system, uh, you know, we, we left, we put someone about six feet away from uh, a little plastic cup with a laser on it. Uh, we'll put a mirror on the face of the putter and we'll have people address the ball as if they were aiming to uh, this white cup. And inevitably, uh, everybody is really far off. And it was funny, I was in Nashville last year and I was sitting a plus four handicap and he, he pulled out this uh, limited edition putter with a sight dot on it, uh, cost him at least $500. Um, and he said, all right, well, can we fit? And I said, well, why do you have a sight dot on top of your putter? He said, that's because that's what I like. And I said, well, does it fit you? And he goes, 
I don't know. So I put the mirror on the face of it, and he was aimed six feet away, about five inches left of the cut. And and he looked at me like he had just seen a ghost. And uh, <laughs> so, sure enough, I, you know, David has done a lot of studies in the past and, and working with uh, different vision experts, putting experts. And one thing that we've honed in on is the shape of the putter creates certain biases, focal biases. And so typically when I see someone aim that far left, I'm able to put a putter in their hand uh, that's uh, more of a mallet shape or something that will draw their attention back towards the back of the putter, and, I, and, and we can get them to aim right. And so, sure enough, with this plus four that I was sitting, I, I did just that, and I put a mallet in his hand, and, you know, 15 seconds later, he's aiming it directly at the hole. Uh, and then he looked back, and then he looked like he had just seen two ghosts. He said, this cannot be real. Uh, and, and we see that time and time again. Uh, and uh, it, it's really amazing kind of what the mind sees as straight. Uh, but once we get people aligned, and that's kind of where the magic happens, is the confidence skyrockets and all the compensatory measures that people take in their stroke uh, disappear because they're aimed at the right spot and they can start actually trusting the strokes that they have. So uh, we see a lot of people uh, just improve their putting, uh, their putting stroke, uh, their make percentage, uh, shot gain uh, across the board when they go through uh, a true putter fitting. And Chris, let's take that a step further because most of us buy our putters by walking into a place like our friends at the PGA Tour Superstore and and we're trying the ones that are, you know, lined up around the green. We make a few in a row and we're like, yeah, I found, I found it. This is the one. <laughs> and we go running up to the, the cashier and the checkout and we pay and we go home and we, we get up the next morning thinking we have found the golden goose and then we can't make anything because there's a lot more yeah. that needs to go into that. Talk about all the things that go into a putter fitting and all the things that go into <laughs> how we figure out what the right one is for us. Yeah, that's uh, it's a funny conversation. I, I've worked in golf since I was about 15 years old, first as a, a cart boy, uh, and then at retail. And, and I'll never forget in high school and college when I'm working on the retail floor and I watch people come in in the putter corral to shop. You know, the first thing they do is they pick up a putter and they kind of waggle it, and then they put it down. And, uh, you know, after doing a lot of studies, making this my career, um, you know, I learned some of the things that people are doing. It's kind of the, the weight of the putter, the feel of the grip, uh, just the look of the putter, everything. Um, and, and you're right. Actually, the last time I was in a PGA Tour Superstore, I watched a gentleman. He walked in. He's a lefty. And he, he picked up a putter. He hit one putt, and it was about 50 feet across the green. And it went in, and he just picked it up, looked at the head, and he walked straight to the counter and bought it. Uh, one putt. And I'm just, and it kind of blew my mind. I was in there, I was in there with one of my employees and, and kind of explaining to him, he was newer on the job. And I said, see, this is what we're working against here. So when we do a fitting, you know, it's a, it's a quite involved process. We've got, uh, components that can give you over 80,000 choices of, of kind of a makeup of a putter. And it, it starts with the head and the head shape. So we've got, uh, now as of last Friday, we've got five different heads in the lineup. Uh, we've got, uh, alignment plates, 
that you can put on there so we can do multiple lines on top or in the bottom pocket of the putter. Uh, those are our fine-tune adjustments for alignment. Uh, we've got three different lie angles available in four different puzzle orientations. So you can fit that for aim, for loft, uh, for lie, uh, and for look. If, uh, if someone wants a kind of an answer style, answer style hosel, we've got something for them too. Uh, and then waiting is so important in a putter. And, you know, for years you'll, you'll see putters come out in a kind of a traditional retail environment and they've got these weights on the sole, uh, but they don't come with a weight kit and they don't really tell you what to do with them. And, and I've launched some of those putters in the past. I'm very familiar with it. Uh, but we've got a, a pretty easy philosophy that, you know, if you've got a, a short stroke, we like to, uh, put less weight in the head and more weight on the counter balance side up in the handle area of the putter and then vice versa. So we'll take people through a fit where they're rolling balls to a piece of string so they're not focused on a, a target or a location. Uh, and we can really see someone's two stroke and fit them, uh, and really dial in their speed control. Uh, so it's, it's all of those elements, uh, plus obviously fitting to length. Uh, and then a handful of grip sizes as well. It's uh, uh, far and away the the most complete fitting system in the world for putters, and uh, it's been fun. It's opened a lot of doors for us to to get in with some some serious partners when it comes to fitting, and you know, essentially people with the same goal is just to make people better at golf and and have more fun. And Chris, you make you mentioned waiting. And that's one of the things that I think mm-hmm. is unique to the Adele putter system is you actually do that counterbalance and weight in the handle. We don't see that a lot. Talk about how that helps us make more putts. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. You know, there's people have been doing it for a long time, but there hasn't been kind of a true protocol around how we do that. And, and I think that's one of the things that our fitting system does. And so, you know, it's a little bit of a trial and error process as you go through it. Uh, but you have someone, you know, take a 10 to 15 foot putt and, and you kind of watch, uh, the head speed, what they're doing with their hands, how they're moving the putter in space and then where the ball's ending up. And typically if someone does have that longer stroke and we want to slow it down and just make it a little smoother, that's when we can heavy up the head and take some counterbalance out of the top. If someone tends to be quick uh, with their hands specifically, uh, maybe a little faster tempo like a Brant Snedeker-type pop stroke, uh, we can add more weight up into the hands that will actually slow the hands down and let the head release a little bit more. And so there's a lot of things that we can do and play with it. And then with uh, with our tour locker, Optivite weight, we can move it down from the very top of the handle area down six inches down into the putter and we can actually change people's release so if people are, are moving uh if they're leaving the ball out to the right a little bit we can pull that off the vibe up and get them to actually close the face a little bit more there's a lot of manipulation that we can do through the fitting process um to make sure that people are getting dialed in on not only their direction closure rate but uh really the overall speed of their putt Chris, let's move over to the wedges that you guys offer. Talk about those and the different grinds that you have for us and for those folks like me that get confused about how do I know which grind 
is the right for me and right for the playing conditions that I typically encounter. Talk about how you guys go through and fit us for the right wedges, not just the right putter. Yeah, and this one, this is one of the most fun stories I like to tell. Uh, when I first got approached about coming on to Adele, um, I, I went and had tacos with uh, my friend Nick Rafael and uh, and one of the owners of the company, and they pulled out a wax. And for those that don't know, before you get into metal with any kind of prototype of a golf club, there's typically a, a 3D print or a wax version of it. And they showed me this wedge that had three holes in it uh, that weights would go in. And they started explaining some of the things that they had seen in testing. And Nick made it really simple for me. And uh, he went back to a driver that we had launched at Callaway. Uh, it was originally called the FT9 Tour Authentic. Uh, became known as the FT Tour. It was the first driver that Callaway ever had that had a hosel on it. And if you remember going way back, uh, one of the core technologies of the company was what they called a S2H2 or short, straight, hollow hosel. And it took all the weight out of the hosel area and moved it to the head so you could get better inertial properties in the head. Uh, and I swear there's, we'll get to the point of the story in a second. But, um, <laughs> one of the things that a lot of tour players had given feedback to Nick was that when they really were pressing to the end of the tournament and they were coming a little steeper, um, that they, they didn't feel that they could close the club face or something wrong with the current driver. So Nick pushed and pushed for, for quite some time. And finally, we came out with this driver that had a hosel, moved about 12 grams of weight towards the heel of the driver. And some folks uh, internally thought that that was going to slow it down. Uh, it would be a aerodynamic disadvantage uh, that we would lose inertia. And what we instantly saw for certain players uh, that needed that weight in the heel uh, is that they gained about two to three miles per hour of swing speed and started hitting the center of the face more often. So fast forward to this wedge design. Nick explained it to me and said, this is exactly like the driver. When the weight is in the heel, it's magical for some people. When it's in the toe, uh, we, we see the same thing. And it kind of creates this, this layback for people who, who tend to close the face too much. Uh, and so we started testing it with players. And I think one of the fascinating ones, and, and I wasn't there, unfortunately, but David was working with Keith Slocum. And Keith tried out the wedge. He's got the weight in the center position. So just so you know, there's uh, eight gram weight and two two gram weights, and you can move them all over the back of the way. So the weights and the heavy weights in the center position, and he's hitting it pretty well. Uh, David moves the heavy weight to the toe, and all of a sudden, he starts shanking the ball. I mean, literally, a PGA Tour player starts shanking the ball because of a six-gram delta moving towards the toe. Uh, so we move it back to the heel, and all of a sudden, he's carrying it, and he looks at David and goes, what just happened? Uh, and, and we've seen that uh, from so many players since the launch of the wedges this past year. Uh, and it's, it's really given fitters the tool to improve people's wedge game and not just have a wedge that's built for, for one set of golfers and people wondering why they're not as good with it year after year. Uh, it, we give people the, the ability to adjust it, uh, and dial it in for, for their swing and their, their natural swing profile, really. Uh, and then kind of to that next level, uh, is the grinds. Uh, we've got four different grinds in the line right now. Um, 
all the way from, you know, we call our D grind or the digger grind for someone who is incredibly steep. Uh, my good friend Zach Martin at Miles of Golf up in Ypsilanti, Michigan, uh, is an incredibly steep wedge player. He's got the D grind and, and all three lofts in his bag. Uh, and then kind of to the other end of the spectrum, we go V, T, and then our C grind, which is more of a cambered grind that people like to open up the face a little bit. They've got that ability. Um, can do that with it. So, you know, we, we, we look at turf interaction. We look at where people play. Uh, we look if they're steep or shallow and then what type of shots people like to hit. So, uh, you know, when we look at our wedge fitting system, it, uh, again, as robust as any I've ever seen. Uh, we've got four different heads and a 50, 54 and 58. So 12 total heads and 15 shafts and, uh, and, and we like people to hit you know, with each of those wedges and not just some built demo with a shaft that probably doesn't fit you. So um, it's been a great way to to make people better, to fit them for the wedges in a proper way, um, but also to give us a, a large competitive advantage when it comes to kind of the world of fitting versus uh, the competition that just doesn't go that deep. Now that you've got us all excited about the wedges that we can do and, and be able to move the weights around and, and really fit what we're trying to do with our golf swing and the putters that we can now aim properly and make more putts. And when I li- listen to you or I, I watch David in the videos, I, I'm thinking, boy, I, I want to get in there. I want to get in that studio with those guys <laughs> because I, I feel like there's probably four or five strokes around sitting right there. How do we do that? Yeah, so uh you're absolutely right. There's a lot of strokes and it's it's funny. I, I used to have a conversation with Dave Pell uh and he just thought it was crazy that people weren't focused more on putting with over forty percent of people's strokes uh kind of dedicated to that portion of the game during the round. Um and 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 we found partners around the world that are like minded like us and trying to make people better and understand the importance of that. And so, you know, over uh, the last year and a half, we we have entered uh, a lot more partners' doors. And so where it used to be really hard to find an Adele fitting, it's gotten quite a bit easier. Uh, partners like uh, Golf Tech, uh, Club Champion, I mentioned Miles of Golf. Uh, we've got our fitting systems at Pebble Beach, uh, at Ocean Reef down in Miami, to name some private clubs. But we, we've really kind of spread out. Uh, across the U.S. and across the world. So there's so many options uh, to go and get fit. Uh, and then other than that, you know, we've on uh, AdeleGolf.com, if you click on Get Fit, a you know, bright red button on the top right of the website, uh, you can go through a list of, of all of our partners uh, and select if you want to get fit, uh, whether it's wedges or putters or single-length irons. It'll lead you down the path of, of where to go. Uh, and then... Finally, if you're around the Austin area, uh, Liberty Hill, Texas is 45 minutes north from the Austin airport. Uh, and, and we've got some great fitters internally that, that would love to, to bring you in, show you the shop where, where the secret sauce is made and, and take you through a fit. And it's, uh, it's truly an experience that, uh, just about everybody I've ever talked to has absolutely loved it. Chris, let our listeners know you mentioned the website again, delgolf.com. To talk about how else we can stay up to date with all the great things that you're doing and that Adele are doing, whether it's uh, on Twitter, social media somewhere, 
how can we stay up to date with the great stuff uh, on a more intimate basis? Yeah, uh, on on Twitter we're at, at Adele Golf, uh, and on Instagram I believe it's Adele underscore Golf, uh, and then as you know I'm on Twitter a decent amount. Uh, if I'm not talking about golf, it's usually skiing or the Golden State Warriors or 49ers. <laughs> uh, but I'm at at Chris Kosky and I'm following along the the Debo Samuel drama as much as I possibly can right now. <laughs> I hope he's a Pittsburgh Steeler soon. That's what I'm hoping. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Actually, you'll, you'll love this then. Um, you know, I was looking at our Instagram account for Adele the other day and I'm not sure if I'm supposed to, but, uh, uh, a famous Steeler hopped into the DMs and was commenting on one of, uh, one of the putters that we came out with. And, uh, he was one of the best quarterbacks in University of Colorado history. So it was cool to see Cordell's name pop up in there. That's very cool. Yeah, Cordell's here in town in Atlanta. I see him out and about uh-huh. every once in a great while. So, yeah, it's great seeing him. Yeah, Chris, really before cool. I let you go, I can't thank you enough uh, for your time tonight. And uh, and hopefully, like I say, having you and Adele as a sponsor this year has been a huge thrill. And uh, uh, I've got my wedges in my golf bag now, and I can tell you, couldn't be more pleased with what I've seen in the very short time that I've had them. Gone out on the range, hit some golf shots, and I think the thing that has impressed me the most is the way that those wedges glide through the turf, the distance that I thought I would hit them, uh, and even maybe a little bit more, but the the spin that I get from these wedges is greater than any, any wedge set I've ever used. So kudos to you guys, and couldn't be more thrilled to take them out with my buddies here in a couple of weeks when we go on our annual golf trip. And suddenly, instead of 20, 30 feet away from the pin, all of a sudden, I'm I'm pin-seeking. So thank you for that very much. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And we're, we're so happy to be a partner. And, and I can't wait until you go through the, the putter fitting uh, soon. And, and hopefully, you'll do it with Will Pugh, who's our rep down there. And I have a little funny story to leave you with. Um, he came on as a, a fitter of ours. And when we had some sales positions open, and we're trying to build this, this team moving forward. Um, I had a really good chat with him. He's one of the best fitters I've ever met. But uh, the fun fact about Will is he used to be the lead singer of a band called The Cartel. And in it's a punk pop band. And in 2014, he was actually named Golf Digest third best golfer in the music industry. Wow. And, um, with where his game's at right now, uh, I would probably put him at the top. And, um, it's, it's really funny. He, uh, he asked me reluctantly recently for a couple of weeks off. Yeah. What do you need? He said, well, I'm going to be on tour in, uh, in August. So he, he had been asked to tour with a band called Dashboard Confessional. So it's the first time I've ever had an employee ask for time off so they can go tour with their band. But, uh, I said, you can get some sales in along the way, invite some of our partners out. We'll, we'll, we'll have a good time. So it's, uh, it's fun. We're building something unique. We're going to be launching some mines this summer, and uh, I just can't wait for the world to see what, what Adele Golf has in store because it's, uh, it's going to be a fun ride. Yeah, no kidding. Neither can I. I'm, I'm anxious to hear about the iron. So <laughs> when, it's time to, when it's time to launch them, it's time to have you back on the show. So we look forward to that, my friend. You'll be one of my first calls. Thank you. I appreciate you. Chris, take care, my friend. All the best to you and your family. Look forward to catching up soon. You as well. Be well. All right. See you, Chris.
That is the great Chris Kosky. K-O-S-K-E is the spelling of his last name, at Chris Kosky on Twitter, at Adele Golf as well, and AdeleGolf.com is the website. Folks, I couldn't be more excited about these wedges and to get them out there, like I say, with my boys when we go up to Macklemore here in a few weeks and see how close I'm at. I'm hitting the golf ball to the pin. Out there on the range, fantastic stuff. I'm very excited about them. And now, new irons? Are you kidding me? Can't wait to hear more about that. We'll get Chris back on the show when they're ready to launch those as well. All right, my friends, it is time for me to put a bow on this episode of Next on the Tee. My sincere thanks go out to Scott McCarran, Bob Ford, Matthew Lawrence, and Chris Kosky for joining me tonight. Scheduled to join me next week are two-time winner on the Corn Ferry Tour and one of the top instructors in the game, Dave Stockton Jr. will be here, as will the president of the Golf Heritage Society, Dr. Bern Bernacki, will be back. I'll round out the show with a return visit from the director of instruction at the Bethpage State Park courses up there in New York, Megan Yunkman, will be here. So it's going to be a great show, folks. I hope you'll come back and be a part of it with us. You can listen to this show as a podcast on just about every major podcasting app like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podcast.co, Audioboom, Player.fm, Podbean. If you have a favorite podcasting app and you're not sure if we're on it, just type in Next on the T in the search bar. You'll probably find us on there as well. Folks, I can't thank you enough for choosing to listen to this show tonight and for continuing to vote for Next on the T in Podcast Magazine's Hot 50 list. I appreciate your support so very much. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends.